Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 12. If you have an electronic device or paper Bible, that's where we're going to be residing, Matthew 12. Today we're going to do something a little interesting congregationally. For y'all that have children that are in Shabbat school, what the children will be learning in Shabbat school is what you will be learning today in here. But the goal is that maybe when you get home for lunch, or supper, or at Oneg, sometimes you'll sit down and talk with your children. Because I'm going to tell you something. Your children, for y'all that have children, for y'all that have had children and have grandchildren, they grow up very quickly. Soon they're going to grow up, become adults, and make their way in the world. And they will be out of your life, not entirely, but so take this time to invest in them. So we're in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 38. That some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. This verse is a culmination of a very contentious and combative conversation Yeshua was having with the Pharisees and the scribes. It started with Yeshua healing a demon-possessed, blind, mute man. And these Pharisees were asking for a sign. Then the Pharisees and the scribes were accusing Yeshua of the power that he was exercising as being from Satan and not from God. Yeshua challenged their accusations we're talking about being a house that is divided, and a tree is known by its fruits. Yeshua used language that seemed to us to be pretty harsh, at one point calling them a brood of vipers. You need to see this language in a more family context, because I can tell you something since we were talking about children, we can say things to our families and our family members that we would never say to someone that's outside our family. Matter of fact, if someone outside the family would say something that we say to our family, guess what? We'd all band together and go after that person. So I think it's important that we see these conversations that Yeshua was having more of a family context. A Jewish scholar, a modern Jewish scholar, says this, quote, Matthew's gospel is particularly antagonistic to the Jewish establishment. 
But when Jesus refers to the Pharisees as hypocrites in Matthew 23:13 and brood of vipers in Matthew 23:33, he is berating fellow Jews. Jesus undoubtedly regards his violent language as following the tradition of the prophets when they castigated fellow Jews of their day. In other words, it was a family quarrel. Jesus looked upon himself as continuing the Jewish tradition of self-criticism. Actually, in the Talmud, it talks about that there are seven types of Pharisees, five of which are not very favorable. One is a bit iffy, and then one is very good. And I think it's wrong for us to castigate all the Pharisees in, in, a, in that group. Because you think about Nicodemus, you think about Joseph of Arimathea, they were Pharisees. The intention of Yeshua was not to berate or belittle, but to challenge them to a new level of understanding of who he was as iron sharpens an iron. Yeshua's criticism of the Pharisees was not to their theology, but to their practice and their beliefs. Actually, Yeshua's theology closely aligned with that of the Pharisees. Yeshua told the crowds later in Matthew, he said, the teachers of the laws and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. In other words, they can make rabbinical decisions on practice to standardize the practice within the community. They can do that. They sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them. And do everything they tell you to do. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. We call that being a hypocrite. And Yeshua expected more from them. Why? Because they knew more. Increased knowledge brings on increased responsibility. They were leaders within their community. Yeshua expected more from them as he expects more from us as we grow in grace and in knowledge. Yeshua would have been most critical to those who most likely knew the truth but did not live it. Yeshua followed many of the rabbinical rules that the Pharisees laid out. The only difference is that Yeshua followed the intent of the commandment and not necessarily, oh, and then secondarily, the rules of the Pharisees. And this would make them very angry because their focus was on their rules, their additional rules, which were important. But they forgot the purpose of the commandments to show love and mercy. So in their arguing, in, in this, all this healing that was going on, in this discussion back and forth, what did the Pharisees ask for? A sign. I mean, how many signs does Messiah have to give before they would believe? So it's not necessarily, as we will see later on, it's not necessarily the issue of a sign, but an issue of the heart. It's always been an issue of the heart. They said they wanted a sign. Where in the Scripture does it say what they wanted as a sign? They didn't define it. So Yeshua said, I'll give you a sign. 
Matthew 12, 39 and 40. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man, and that is very important, that he said the Son of Man, because the Son of Man reaches back to Daniel and is more prophetic of his divinity than the Son of God. He said the Son of Man will be raised up. The Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the hearts of the earth. So what is a sign? God often would use signs or miracles to tell people that the person that was speaking the message was their chosen messenger. Tanakh is full of examples of this. For example, God brought 10 plagues on Egypt. It was a sign to Pharaoh that Moses was God's messenger. God does not work miracles for our convenience. He works miracles for his glory. Sometimes we want God to work a miracle, and sometimes we do need a miracle, but it's for his glory. So sign is a very special miracle that would prove that Yeshua was the Messiah. And what was the sign that he gave after all these miracles, after changing water into wine, after all these things that he did, what was the sign that would prove this? It was the sign of Jonah. So let's take a look at Jonah. Jonah was a messenger of God. One day he was given a message to go to preach to Nineveh. He didn't want to do that. He went the other way. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because the Assyrians were... Israel's enemies. The last thing they wanted to have happen is to have God's mercy show to their enemies. So we know the story. He got in a boat, was going the opposite way. A storm came up. And he was sleeping in the, bo in the boat. They woke him up, and he ended up getting pitched overboard. In a sense, that was an act, a redemptive act that he gave his life because he knew that when he'd go into the sea, he would be buried in the sea. It was like, in a sense, he was dead. It was a hint. It was a remiss that God was giving to the nation of Israel about someone who is greater than Jonah who would be coming. And so we know the story. So he got thrown in the water. And all of a sudden, the storm stopped, and he was swallowed up by a big fish. And how long was he in the belly of that fish? Three days and three nights. And while he was in there, he repented. And guess what? He got puked up. He, in a sense, he got resurrected out of the belly of that fish. He went to Nineveh. And preach to a Gentile people, which may be another hint that Yeshua is talking about with the sign of Moses. And they accepted the message. They listened, they trusted in God, and God showed mercy to the people of Nineveh. So then let's tie Yeshua and Jonah together. How long was Jonah in the belly of the great fish? Three days and three nights. That's exactly right. 
In a sense, he was dead and buried. And three days later, he was, in a sense, resurrected. And so what Yeshua was starting to tell the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the people listening to this conversation, this combative conversation, that the sign is that Messiah would be crucified, he would die, he would be buried, and three days and three nights later, he would be rose from the dead. That was and is the greatest miracle that Messiah did, the resurrection. Yeshua had produced many miracles, but this was the greatest. And though the issue was not the sign, as I said before, it was an issue of the heart. Yeshua didn't fit their paradigm, their way of thinking. He challenged their way of thinking. He challenged their paradigm. And I think that that needs to be a warning for us. We put God in a box. God will not be stayed in that box. Because I'm going to tell you, he will bust the side of that box out. And God will operate and do things the way he wants to because he's the sovereign Lord. There's no compare. There's no competitor. There's no nothing that can hinder him. So Yeshua's greatest miracle was that he was rose from the dead. Many, many, many times we see through Yeshua's three-year ministry that he predicted his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That was the sign of Jonah. And we need to understand that the resurrection is central to everything we do in faith and practice. The fact that Yeshua is alive today means that he can save today. I've been in the tomb. It's empty. This is a major argument in 1 Corinthians 15 that Messiah Yeshua talks about the resurrection, where he explains the whole gospel depends. The resurrection is the glue that holds everything together. He says, if Messiah is not raised, our preaching is in vain, and our life, our faith is in vain. And if Messiah has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Messiah and have perished, if in Messiah we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I'm going to tell you something. If Yeshua did not physically bodily rose from the dead, we should just close the doors of this place. We should sell it and go have a party. Because our faith is vain. It's worthless without the resurrection. Why is it worthless? It is worthless because Yeshua predicted that he was going to rise from the dead. If he did not raise from the dead, he's a liar. He is a liar. He's a fraud. He's a fake. Or you can say, okay, maybe he was deluded. He was mashugana, crazy, loca en la cabeza. He's a lunatic. And if he's a lunatic, 
He should not be listened to. His teachings are rubbish. And they need to be placed in the scrap heap of other failed philosophies and religions if he didn't raise from the dead. But if he rose from the dead, he's neither a liar, he's neither a lunatic, he's Lord. And I'm talking about yod Hey vav Hey Lord. The resurrection has to happen. We are wasting our time without the bodily resurrection of Messiah Yeshua because it proves his divine character and his power over death. Yeshua's resurrection reminds us that God has absolute sovereignty over life and death. And in Psalms 16.10, it was predicted, for you will not abandon my soul in Sheol, or you will let the Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Holy One here is speaking of the Messiah, and he would never see corruption, and he did not see corruption even after he died. Death could not have him, and the grave could not hold him. Not only that, there were over 500 people who physically saw Yeshua after his resurrection, over 500. How could you think that is plausible that 500 people could keep a lie for many, many years? Well, let me give you a quote from someone. Chuck Colson, he became an evangelical believer in 1973. He also went to prison for a while, but he had a radical change through the gospel. And that's what the gospel does. It brings a radical change into our life. And this is what he says about the resurrection. I know the resurrection is fact. And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. And they proclaimed the truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it wasn't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. The resurrection is a fact. It's an objective fact of history. It's not some vague, floating thing of faith. It's not some blind leap of faith. It is to require it. It is a fact. And Yeshua's continued discussion with the Pharisees is an indictment upon them and their disbelief that he was Messiah. Matthew 12, 41 and 42 the men of Nineveh will rise in judgment with this generation, condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation, condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. In my opinion, this 
is a hint or a remiss that Yeshua was given to the prophet of the prophecy, not only of his resurrection, but a shift that was going to occur in the ministry after the resurrection. The people living in Nineveh and the queen of the south are both non-Jewish people, but they were witnesses to God's redeeming power. The Danaphites, as far as we know in the text, they did not see Jonah get kicked out of that fish. They did not witness that miracle. What changed? The preaching of Jonah. What changed with the queen of the south? The preaching of Solomon. It's the word that transforms. One Jewish tradition claims that Jonah tried to avoid preaching to the Ninevites lest their repentance shame Israel for failing to do likewise. If any of the Pharisees were familiar with this tradition, it would make Yeshua's comparison to what their actions all the more graphic in their thinking. Although the Jewish people expected God to vindicate Israel against the nations on the day of judgment, some latter rabbinical traditions claimed that repentant Gentiles would testify against unrepentant Israelites at that time. By appealing to these two repentant Gentiles, Yeshua is reemphasizing Israel's mission to the Gentiles to what? To be a light to them. To bring the fact that God is one. You, we don't understand that. 2,000 years ago, paganism, we think we got a lot of paganism now, and we do, but it was not near like what it is 2,000 years ago. Matter of fact, the Romans thought the Jews were atheists because they only believed in one God and not their gods. We've come a long way with the truth that Adonai Echad that we say every Shabbat. And indeed, Yeshua is the fulfillment of this mission to be a light to the nations. When Yeshua was alive, his ministry was to the Jewish people. He had very little interaction. He did have some interaction with non-Jewish people, but it was primarily to the Jewish people, to the lost sheep of Israel. But brothers and sisters, that changed at the resurrection. Because the message of then came, whosoever will. It wasn't exclusively Jewish any longer. But we as Gentile believers should not be arrogant to think that God is finished with the Jewish people or with Israel. Because he's not. It's all in God's plan. So we as Gentile believers need to be humble and thankful for what God has done through Messiah Yeshua. That we have this book that you Jewish people gave us this book, gave us the Messiah, gave us the fact that God is one. But we need to be as Gentile believers a witness to the Jewish people who are yet to believe. That's why a place like this is very important. That we create a space where Jewish people can hear the gospel. Rav Sheol speaking to their Gentile believers in Roman, and they made the Roman believers might have started to get a little uppity because of the great message and freedom and salvation and deliverance that they had in the earlier chapters in Romans. Listen to what he says. For I say then, 
This is Romans 11, 11 through 15. For I say then, have they, speaking of the Jewish people, stumbled so that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is the riches to the world and their failures riches to the Gentiles, how much more, how much more their fulfillment be? For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. Here's a, here's a verse that you need to think about and meditate. Verse 15. For if their being cast away is reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? What do we call life from the dead? Resurrection. We are a witness to the, the Jewish people. We need to be praying for the Jewish people. We need to be reaching out in compassion and love. The fact that we're worshiping on Shabbat, that we celebrate the biblical festivals, are all testament to them. And we don't need to grab them by the scruff of the neck and shake them because that won't work. We need to show them the love of Messiah Yeshua. So when the Jewish people embrace their Messiah... When that happens, brothers and sisters, I cannot even imagine what the world will be like. But it will be life from the dead. So you need to see that you are here for a specific purpose, for a strategic purpose, for a prophetic purpose, here at Rosh Hashanah, in the fulfillment of this prophecy of Messiah. So the sign of Jonah is the resurrection. And the sign that would follow. And I want us to close with a couple of thoughts. First of all, the resurrection, we have victory. It says in Romans 4.25, He was delivered over for death, for our sins, and raised for our justification. Justification means that we are right with God. I like to say it like this, just as if I never sinned. Just as if I've never been uh, rejected. Just as, just as if I've never been abused. That's through his resurrection. His crucifixion killed all that. His resurrection led us up to a new life. It says again in Romans 6, 5, For if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. And his resurrection is Zoe kind of life. It's a God kind of life. It's uncreated life. You have uncreated life living in you right now because God is dwelling in your heart. If you put your faith and trust in Messiah Yeshua, right now you have eternal life. Eternal life is not something when you die. Eternal life is now because of the resurrection. Because of that, we have victory. Because we are one with the one who is one. We have the victory because of the resurrection. And in the resurrection, we have hope. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. 
I don't know if that gets you excited, but that gets me excited. Because I'm going to tell you something. I'm not young anymore. I'm not that old yet, but I ain't young. Things don't work quite like they used to. There is a place. There's an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfaded. Because of the resurrection. We may have family members and friends who pass on. It happens every day. And unless the Messiah returns, we're going to die. That's a fact. It's the resurrection that gives us the hope. It gives us the hope that we're going to be raised again to this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading through the resurrection. I don't know if there's any better news than that. What are you going to do with the sign of Jonah? I want to close with Messiah's words out of John 11. Yeshua said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, even though he die, yet he will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Yeshua is the only way to eternal life to his resurrection. Do you believe this? The only way to obtain eternal life is believing solely in Yeshua. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. Do you believe this? Believing in Yeshua's complete work, complete work through his death and resurrection is what makes the benefits, the blessings of the resurrection in our life for sure. And you see, the real issue with the Pharisees then and people today is an issue with the heart. And it's my prayer that God takes and activates his word in your heart to cause faith to rise up and to transform you because that's the only way because of the resurrection. He was going to rise from the dead. He also says he's going to be returning. And I ask, are you ready for his return? The resurrection is the assurance that though our bodies may die, we will be raised again in the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he died, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this Shabbat that you've given to us. We thank you for the complete work that you did through your cross, through your resurrection. We thank you for the empty tomb. Father, let us have hearts that are tender towards you, hearts that are hungry for you, hearts that are longing for you. Father, there's so much to distract us in this world. Let our eyes stay focused solely on you. Father, I just pray that if there's someone here today 
that's heard this message and realizes that they're still in their sins, that they still need to have their sins washed away through the blood of Messiah Yeshua to experience the power of his resurrection. I pray that they will not leave this building today without talking to someone. Thank you for sending us, Messiah Yeshua. Thank you for all the blessings that you've given to us. And Father, we just pray your blessings and your anointing on the rest of this day as we gather for this Oneg, for study this afternoon. We thank you for your tremendous gifts, your mercy, your love, and your grace. We say this by Shem Yeshua. Amen. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Yeshua our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Yeshua the Messiah, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. May you all have a blessed Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.